A father's love for his son is the expression David gives that gives us the sentiment of what Jesus has done for the world. If only I had died in your place. As tragic as this story is, and as honestly tragic the story of the cross is, the cross wouldn't have happened without this story. Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away as we are looking to unleash God's word in its entirety from beginning to end and unlock the power within the pages of scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. Father God, uh, thank you for this evening. Thank you for a chance to dive into your word. God, give us insight uh, and understanding into some of the human condition um, and help us to be so thankful that you were the one who rescues us from ourselves uh, through the cross. God, uh, bless this evening and let your spirit be with us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we left off in chapter 14 where... David has brought his son Absalom back to Jerusalem, but refuses to see him. Um, and there is a rift, a huge rift between David and Absalom because Absalom killed his brother Amnon because of a whole lot of family strife. And that Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar, who was the full sister of Absalom. And so all of that has come full circle. David was confronted about it and... He finally brings Absalom back, but he has yet to see him, yet to see his face. And that's where we pick up today uh, in verse 25. And what we're going to be speaking about really centers around Absalom and his actions. A lot of these may have been contributed from David's lack of parenting and lack of being in his life. But the actions themselves are Absalom's and his pride is really the issue that we're going to dig in today. So verse 25, now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. There was no blemish in him. So we already start to see Absalom's Achilles heel is himself. Now, he is a handsome man and often in our world, whether or not we like it, it's true. Pretty people get further. They just, they tend to be more influential. They tend to get more of what they want. And this is definitely the case with Absalom. His whole identity seems to be wrapped up in his looks. Um, and part of that is probably because David doesn't play enough of a role in his life. And so Absalom is praised for his beautiful face. 
In verse 26, it says, when he cut the hair off his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. And when he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard, or about five and a half pounds. So this is how conceited Absalom is. His hair is thick and luscious. I know what that's like, but just kidding. Well, not really. My hair is thick, but it's annoying more than I think beautiful. But Absalom is so conceited. He weighs his hair and brags about it, that it weighs about five and a half pounds. This is the kind of person we're dealing with who is so shallow that all of his vanity is brought into his outward appearance. There's nothing on inside of him, probably, again, because of David's absence in his life. He hasn't been a, a guiding father to teach him how to be a man, so he takes what he can get from the world. This is something that I think still plagues the world today. And it is a plague in social media. We search for likes and shares and to be influencers with our outward expressions rather than our who we are, who God made us to be. Verse 27, to Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. Now, this is one nice thing. A little nice sentence about Absalom is that he named his daughter after his sister, the one who he cared for after Amnon ruined her and her life. He took her in and then he named his daughter after her. So that's a nice little thing about Absalom. So he does have a little bit of a sweet spot. Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he, he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he wouldn't come. So he said to his servants, see Joab's field is near mine and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. So it was Joab who actually worked out the deal to get David to recognize he needed to bring Absalom home. But Joab's been kind of on, on thin ice with the royal family for a, a long time. And now he's not listening to Absalom's requests to have him come here because he, he knows what's going on. He knows what Absalom wants. So he ignores him. And Absalom sets his fields on fire to get his attention. Again, someone who is unrestrained because they are only concerned about their own vanity and themselves. This is how he acts. So Joab arose and came to Absalom, Absalom's house and said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab and said, look, I sent to you saying, come here so that I may send you to the king to say, why have I come to Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. This is Absalom's request. This is all I wanted you to do was to get David to see me. This is a kid crying out to be seen by his absent father. Father is not playing a role in his life. And because he has, he's so shallow from the lack of direction in his life, he even says, let me see the king's face, but if there's iniquity in me, let him execute me. He doesn't see that he's done anything wrong. He doesn't see that the cold-blooded murder of his brother is wrong. He thinks he's... He thinks he's completely in the right because he only sees the lens. He only sees the world through the lens of how it affects himself. And he's searching for his dad's attention. So Joab went to the king and told him. And when he called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on the face of the ground before the king. And the king kissed 
Absalom. So this is known as, this is David's forgiveness. When he finally gets to see him, everything stops and he forgives him. But here's the problem. David's been absent in Absalom's life. And it's not that Absalom didn't need forgiveness or that it was a bad thing that David forgave him. But he also never disciplined him. We have yet to read at any point in time, David disciplining any of his kids and actually giving them any guidance. This is David's major failure. His major failure is as a husband and a father. He's a great leader of a nation. He's a great king. He's a great warrior, but he's horrible at home. So you see Absalom's reaction to David's absence and David's lack of guidance. Chapter 15, after this happened, that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone had a lawsuit, came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. So this is the scene. Absalom grabs for himself 50 horses, and he puts himself out in front of everybody to make himself look as important as he can, because he has chariots and horses, and that makes you look powerful in ancient times. And he stands out in front of the gate looking powerful and pristine, and as you know, he is beautiful and charming. And as people walk by and they go to see the king, because the king is the judge of the land who makes all the discernments on legal matters when people go to see him, he stops them before they get to David. And he says, if it was me running things, I'd hear your case and I'd make sure you'd get justice. He makes himself look good, powerful, and he schmoozes up along the people and he rubs elbows with them and he, he tells them everything they want to hear. Absalom is a politician. He is an empty suit who looks good on camera, who will tell you what you want to hear, not what he really thinks. Again, human nature has not changed in thousands and thousands of years. This is what we deal with every couple of years. And it was so. Whenever anyone came near to to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand, take him, and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He's running negative campaigns against his dad and trying to make himself look like the hero of the people. Meanwhile, he hasn't done anything. Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Geshur in Syria, saying, if the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. I don't buy that for a second. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. So then Absalom sent Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from the city from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices and the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in numbers. So what Absalom did is he tells his father, he finds a weakness in him, David's love for God. 
And he says, Dad, send me to Hebron because I made a promise that if I made it back to Jerusalem, I would serve God. And he, he uses and he manipulates his dad in that way. And his dad says, great, go. On his way, he tells all of the people of Israel, when you hear the trumpet sound, you'll know that I have become the king after he's been spending all of this time rubbing elbows with them and making himself loved by the people by telling them oh, if he was the one judging all of their cases, he would always judge in their favor. And the conspiracy grew without anyone knowing what was going on. And so people just believed him. He also, interestingly, he said to Joab, it would have been better for me to have stayed in Gesher, where he was with his grandfather, because in the role that he had in Jerusalem, not being around his father, not having any guidance, it was basically like house arrest. At least he was okay in Gesher. At least he had a role, something to do in Gesher. But in Jerusalem, he felt useless. And when his father offered him no guidance and just forgiveness, he just took advantage of him. And now he's trying to take his place. This is Absalom's pride. And it almost seems like his pride is trying to take the place that his father should have had in his life. And so instead of getting the guidance from David, he's trying to prove himself to his dad by taking over and beating him at his own games. Verse 13, now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart lest he overtake us and suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So because Absalom's coup has worked, David hears about it and he makes a wise decision. He says, let's go. Let's get out of here. And the king's servant said to the king, we are your servants ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. <clears throat> then the king went out with all his household after him, but the king left 10 women concubines to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. And all the servants passed before him and all the Carathites and the Pelethites and the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. And the king said to Ittai the Gittite, why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you only came yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. So David's out on his way and he's taking select men with him to help him survive. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over and all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. And there was Zadok also and all the Levites with him bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over the, from the city. And the king said, Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. And if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. This is David's response. This is a little bit of the story we get of David. David brings the Ark of the Covenant with him, with the people that he brings with him. 
so that he can go hide out in the wilderness and cross the rivers. And then he tells one of his servants, one of the priests, bring the ark back to its resting place where it's supposed to be in the tabernacle. And if God is willing, I'll make it back. But if God doesn't want me to be king, I'll live with it. David is humble before God. He doesn't view the throne as his. He views it as God's and himself as a vessel that has been placed to rule. And he wants to do good by God. And he's willing to concede the opposite of what Saul did. Saul was never willing to concede to God. Verse 27, the king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives. And went up, as he went up, he and his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. And someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So Ahithophel was one of the chief counselors of the king, and he'd been wise, and his counseling was considered great. And David is actually saying, oh, this treachery that my son has committed on me, Ahithophel is helping him. God, if you're willing, turn his counsel into foolishness. Verse 32, now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God. There was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe, torn and dust on his head. David said to him, if you go on with me, you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city, to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king. Uh, oh, and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant. Then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And you do not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, with you there. Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, indeed they have there, and then their two sons, Ahimehaz, and Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So this is what David did. He sent some of the priests back there on his side. And then he sent an advisor back, Hushai, and said, Listen, it's, it's not going to help me at all if you come along with me. But what will help me is if you're on the inner sanctum with Absalom, if you go and pretend to be his servant and give him counsel. And you can keep an eye on what Ahithophel is counseling him to do because we know he's wise. And so see if you can divert this treachery. That's his plan. And you'll see how it plays out. Chapter 16, when David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raven, raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me, so the king said to Ziba, here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, O Lord, the king. So 
Ziba is Mephibosheth's servant. He brings out all of these things to David, trying to gain favor with David. And he tells David that Mephibosheth, because he's Saul's last remaining heir to the throne, is planning a coup. And he thinks now that David's out of the way, he can somehow tear the throne away from Absalom. And he gives David this false report. And David says, fine, keep everything you brought to me. So Ziba gets to keep all of this stuff that he took from Mephibosheth for himself because he's tried to curry favor with the king. All of this political corruption and back and forth and trying to gain, everyone's working for themselves. So, I, I mean, I wasn't planning on saying this, but the truth is this is politics. Everyone says they're working for you and they're working for themselves. And that's, that's what's going on all throughout, this, all throughout these chapters. Verse 5, Now when the king came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera. Coming from there, he came out cursing continuously, and he came, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also, Shammai said thus uh, when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon all, upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. That's brutal. This is sort of how the enemy works, right? I think oftentimes the enemy works through people around us who know just enough truth to make you feel bad about yourself. And David was already told by God that he wasn't going to be allowed to build the temple for God because he was a man of blood and that his son was going to build it because his son's going to be a man of peace. So Solomon ends up building the temple. So David already has it on his head that he's a, he's a man of blood and he's, a, he's kind of a warrior. But that he, he was fulfilling God's plan in his war. It wasn't like he was going out and seeking blood. He was just fulfilling God's promises to the land that was promised to the Israelites. And the, the neighboring nations that he was attacking were doing horrible things, namely child sacrifice, where they were throwing small infants into pits uh, and sacrificing them up to the god Molech. You know, and God is raining down judgment on them by this conquering that's happening in Israel. Um, so it's not like he's he's conquering these wonderful nations and neighbors that have holy lives. They have serious pagan worship problems and child sacrifice. And David is doing God a service by making Israel the nation that controls these lands and having being under Levitical law. But nonetheless, he is a man of war. Uh, and that is the reason that God tells him he won't build the temple. And the enemy uses this against David. And Shammai curses David using this little bit of truth to make him feel like he's not worthy. And that is... That is spiritual warfare. Just enough truth twisted to make you feel bad about who you are or to make you feel like you can't get to God. I highly recommend Screwtape Letters that by C.S. Lewis. That is expounded upon in a magnificent way in that book. Verse 9, Then Abishai, the son of Zeroiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. So the sons of Zeroiah seem to have a temper. <laughs> all the time. Every time we read about the sons of Zeruiah, we hear that. He says, please let me go cut off his head. But the king said, 
What, I, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? So David basically says, Well, if the Lord told him to curse me, who am I to rebuke that? Because he's humble enough to say, If I'm wrong, I'm okay with God rebuking me if I am wrong. Verse 11, David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse. For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look upon look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shammai went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary. So they refreshed themselves there. Now this is a picture intentionally or unintentionally, I have a hard time believing that the Holy Spirit missed this. I think it's on purpose. But we see David getting cursed and yelled at, called things that aren't really true about him. He's getting stuff thrown at him and dust kicked up on him. This really reminds me of Jesus's trial in the dead of night, where the Pharisees, the one who are supposed to uphold the law, break their own law by bringing him in in the middle of the night on the Passover and beat him up, and make false accusations against him. And this just looks like a really familiar scene. And the fact that the Messiah is called the son of David, and that they were treated in similar ways, I just, I don't think is a mistake. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, where Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? So Absalom is finally confronted with Hushai, and this plan is getting going into fruition from David. He says, why aren't you with your friend, Hushai? Why aren't you with my father? And Hushai said to him, no, but whom the Lord and all this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give advice as to what we should do. So the response was, Hushai says, who am I to choose who's king? My job is to serve the king. If you're the king, I'll serve you. Makes sense to me. Uh, and then Absalom goes about his business and he asks Ahithophel for advice. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines and in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as, as if one had inquired at the oracle of God, so was all the advice of Ahithophel, of Ahithophel both with David and with Absalom. Basically, this is saying Ahithophel's advice is really smart. He knows exactly what to do in every situation. And this was good advice for Absalom to complete his task. If Absalom wanted to take over as king and prove his authority, taking David's concubines did that. We've talked about that in the past previously with other kings um, and things that had happened with him. Remember when Abner slept with the king's concubine and it was because he was trying to usurp authority. So this is good advice in terms of if you're looking to take the authority, this is what you would do. 
Now, good and wise are not the same thing. Chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him. He is weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee and will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and the elders of Israel. So Ahithophel, after he gives this good advice, also gives really good advice. If his goal is to conquer David and take over the throne, he says, chase him now while he's hungry and weak. His numbers are small. We have all the leverage on our side, all the momentum, and all the people are with us. Let's do it now. And Absalom thought this was a good idea. Then Absalom said, now call Hushai the archite also and let us hear what he says. And now David's plan is in place. When Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says, if not speak up? Now remember, this, these chapters focused on Absalom. Absalom's failure is the fact that he, he's shallow and he is only concerned about his pride and his ego and his image. You will see how that gets preyed upon by Hushai. So Hushai said to Absalom, that the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field and your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit or in some other place and it will be when that whoever hears it will say there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom and even he who is valiant whose heart is like the heart of a lion will melt completely for all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore I advise you that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba like the sand that is by the sea for a multitude and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and he will fall on him, and all the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he is withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will put it into the river until there is no one, not one small stone found there. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the Archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord has purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel for the intent of the Lord might bring disaster to Absalom. What? So Hushai says, no, you don't want to listen to Ahithophel. You don't want to attack him right now. And then he appeals to Absalom's pride. He says, no, what you want to do, you want to gather men from all of Israel. You want to make sure they're all on your side. And you want to go with a big raging army. You want to look like the most important man that has ever existed with a huge army behind you, you standing in front with a sword sticking out as you're riding on your steed, as you come in front of David. Because let's face it, you know, the, he starts out with fear before he appeals to his pride. He says, you know, David, David ran from Saul. Saul, who had years of experience as king, this is your, you're just starting out. You think you can compete with what Saul did? He hid from Saul for a long time in caves, with mighty men. And he won battle after battle. You think you can really handle that right now? No, take your time. Come with a horde. And he appeals to his fear. He appeals to the memory of David's strength as a warrior. And he says, no, instead, you come. You come with a huge army looking like the most important man who has ever existed. And you, you humiliate David before you kill him. And Absalom says, that sounds good. 
yeah, not only do I not want to fight this warrior who knows what he's doing with a small group of men, I, I want everyone to see me conquer. And he appeals to his pride. And so he didn't listen to Ahithophel, whose advice was good, but not wise. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, thus so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus, and so I have advised. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimehaz stayed at Enrogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Nevertheless, as a lad, saw them and told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came to the man's house in Baharim, who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. So Hushai goes and tells the priests that were on David's side to go tell David. And so they work this multi-step system to get the news to David to try to keep Absalom off of their trail. Instead of going from one mouth to another, they have a little phone tree to try to keep Absalom on his toes. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and a spread ground grain on it, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimehaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They have gone over to the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. So even with this plan in place, someone followed. But they couldn't find the betrayers because this woman hid them in a well. Now it came to pass, after they had departed, they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly. For thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them was left who had gone over the Jordan. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled the donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city, and he put him, put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in his father's tomb. All right, again, I don't think this is a mistake. This is clearly, I think, the Holy Spirit giving us some insight. Ahithophel, the trusted, wise advisor of the king, betrayed him. And when that betrayal caught up to him, he couldn't deal with it because he knew King David was coming back. And so he went and hung himself. If that doesn't sound like a foreshadowing of Judas, I don't know what does. Because that just, it's unmistakable. I can't miss it when I see it. Then David went to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite who had gone in, into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, daughter of sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim, the Shobai, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah of the people of Ammon, Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzilla, the Gileadite, from Rogalim, uh, brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who are with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. So all of that to say, some people brought David food. There you go. Chapter 18. I think we're going to get through it. David numbered the people who were with him and set captains 
of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, You shall not go out, for if we flee away, they will not care about us, nor if half of us die, will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now, for you are now more help to us than the city. So King David splits his army up into three groups. He's got a pretty small army compared to Absalom. And the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. Now David, in spite of all of his flaws, he did want to forgive. And he gave this order, and you'll see how that doesn't really work out. So the people went out into the field of battle against Israel. And the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown. And there before the servants of David and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside. And the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. So David takes his small army and he fights in the woods. He doesn't go to an open battlefield to give his smaller army an advantage because David's a man of war and he understands how to win. A large army has a good advantage in a big open battlefield, but in a hidden place, it's easier to hide and win tactically when there's lots of forest and places to hide. It's hard to hide a large army. So David is winning. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. Now, his head was caught in a tree from when he was riding his donkey, and he was just hanging there up in the air. Now, it doesn't say that it was his hair, but I think it was just because they made a point. There was a point that whoever authored this made to talk about how how fond Absalom was of his hair and how much he cared. Um, so I think the dramatic irony of him, that being his, his end, is interesting. His vanity does him in. Now that's interesting because Proverbs tells us this. The book of James flips it on its head. You know, Proverbs tells us that pride comes before the fall, right? That's the famous saying that we all know. Pride is not good. Pride will lead to your end. Pride is the original sin trying to take the place of God, trying to put ourselves on his throne and take control. That is the thing that has caused humanity to die. That is why we die. And it, it did Absalom in, caused him his end. The book of James, though, puts it on its head and talks about the other side of that coin and says that the humble will be exalted. Verse 10, now a certain man saw it, saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. So Joab said to the man, who told him you just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai saying, beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. There is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself have set yourself against me. And Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. The ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. 
Now Joab has a soldier who finds Absalom hanging in the tree. And Joab says to him, why didn't you just kill him? He goes, uh, I'm not stupid. I heard the king. Also, why would I do that? Like, I'm not going to my, pit myself against you or the king. I'm just not doing this. And Joab says, okay, fine, and throws spears at Absalom and has his men kill him. And he does that in front of someone who knows what that means. Joab really blew it. And he's been at odds with the royal family for a long time. And uh, he's not doing himself any favors. So Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing Israel. For Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name. And to this day, it is called Absalom's monument. And even again, you get a sense of Absalom's vanity. He set up a pillar for himself because he didn't have kids yet. Or, well, he didn't have sons yet. He had daughters. Then Ahimehaz the son of Zadok said, let me run now and take the news to the king, how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said to him, you shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news because the king's son is dead. Uh, yeah, Joab, you did it. Then Joab said to the Cushite, go tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. And Ahimehaz and the son of Zadok said again to Joab, but whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Joab said, why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? But whatever happens, he said, let me run. So he said to him, run. Then Ahimehaz ran by way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Basically, this guy is saying, no, let me let me run anyway. I'm, I want to make sure David gets the right, right news. And he knows he can get to David first. I don't know how he knows. I don't know if he's an Olympian or what, or if he knows a shortcut, but he gets there faster. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. And the watchman cried out and told the king, and the king said, if he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. And the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, there is another man running alone. And the king said, he also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he is a good man and comes with good news. David, hopeful. So Ahimehaz called out and said to the king, all is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. The king said, is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimehaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and me, your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And the king says, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, there is good news, my lord, the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day and all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise against you do to do harm be like that young man. Probably not the way David wanted to be told. But this messenger says to David, whoever comes against you, I hope has the same fate as Absalom. That's how he tells the king that his son is dead. Now, it's not his fault. He didn't mean harm by it. He was just doing pretty much what you did in ancient 
monarchy, you praised the king and said, long live the king, and you hated their enemies to their face. But this is David's response. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, too bad that David didn't care enough while Absalom was alive to be present in his life. But certainly in his death, David paints a picture of something important. David, the one through whom the line of the Messiah will come, says, if only I could have died in your place, which is exactly what Jesus did for the rest of us. It is interesting that only a father's love for his son is the expression David gives that gives us the sentiment of what Jesus has done for the world. If only I had died in your place. As tragic as this story is, and as honestly tragic the story of the cross is, the cross wouldn't have happened without this story. Amnon's death, Absalom's death, lead to eventually Solomon being the one who's chosen to take up the royal line. And through that line comes Jesus and the ultimate sacrifice. And that's what this is all leading to. And that's what this is all about. All roads lead to the cross. Where Jesus doesn't say, if only I had died in your place, he ends his time on the cross by saying, it is finished. To tell us die in Greek meaning the debt is paid because he did die in our place. It's not a wish when God's the one who's in control and doing it on his own. He actually does the deed. Because of that, because of this tragedy, because of a tragedy that happens a thousand years later, we can have a relationship with God. So let's pray and thank him for this story. Father God, I'm so thankful that you don't hide the truth you don't hide the harshness of life or the reality of what pride does to us as humans. But God, help us to resist the flesh and more importantly, to recognize the sacrifice Christ made on the cross on our behalf because we can't get to you. Perfection is impossible for us, but Christ's righteousness can clothe us because of his sacrifice, not because of anything we did, but because of what you did. Thank you for every story that's leading us to that ultimate truth and help us to be more grateful and thankful for it as we study the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen.